This is Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another week to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. And right now, that is March Madness, the NCAA tournament. Man, after this last weekend, I felt like I should have named this podcast No Sleep Till May instead of Tailgate Till May because that was a long weekend of college hoops. By Sunday night, I was feeling like an absolute zombie But it was an incredible weekend. Loved every minute of it. Can't imagine a better way to spend four days than watching wall-to-wall college basketball action. And I'm excited to be back to talk about it all with you. As always, you can find the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, pretty much everywhere you can find your podcast, you can find this show. If you like the show, I'd love if you leave us a five-star review and subscribe Also, tell a friend. That's one of the best things you can do to help out the show is tell somebody who loves college sports about this show. And you can also find me on Twitter at Gorg on Sports. That's where I post my gambling picks and other various musings. A really good start to me for me from a gambling perspective in the NCAA tournament. Went 11-5 over the course of the opening weekend. And that's a record that I will take any day of the week. And I am excited to keep picking games throughout the tournament, hopefully hitting a few more winners as the tournament goes on. So if you want to see those picks, follow me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. Okay, let's dive right into this thing. Man, it seems like we went from 68 teams to 16 in the blink of an eye. There were so many games. You're watching wall-to-wall action, and before you know it, it's all over. It's the best weekend of the year bar none if you're a sports fan and uh, for a college basketball nut like me and all of you listening out there I'm sure you think it's the best weekend as well how I'm going to dive into this thing because there's so much to digest is I've ranked the 16 remaining teams one through 16 kind of a combination of how impressive were you in this opening weekend and how likely do I think you are to make a final four and win a national championship. So it's not strictly one or the other. It's kind of a combination of both. And I've also grouped several of these teams in groups together because I think they make sense to talk about together. This will give us a good chance to both look back at the weekend weekend that was while also looking ahead a little bit to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and eventually the Final Four. So I'm going to start at the very top because there's two teams that I think we need to talk about together. Number one... It's the team I have at number one, the number one overall seed in the tournament, and that is Alabama, the one seed in the South region. And the second team is Texas, the two seed in the Midwest region. I felt like these two teams were by far the most impressive teams that we saw over the course of the first two rounds in this tournament. Alabama, essentially untested. Blowing out a 16 seed, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, 96 to 75 in the first round, and then beating Maryland 73 to 51, a game that was close for much of the first half that Alabama really pulled away uh, in that second half there. And the final score clearly not close Two 20 plus point wins and two kind of different games, a 96, 75 win, and then a 73, 51 win. And I thought it showed that Alabama can beat you a couple different ways and that Alabama can blow you out a couple different ways. So Alabama, to me, the most impressive team in the tournament with those two blowout wins. But Texas was the other team 
that I was extraordinarily impressed by. Blew out Colgate in its opening game win, 81-61, and then beat a 10-seeded Penn State team in the second round, 71-66. But that Penn State game, despite it being you know just a five-point margin of victory, that was a game that Texas largely controlled throughout. Penn State did come back. Um, Penn State, I, I believe, even took the lead in that game late in the second half. Uh, I think it was, yeah, 50, 58 to 55. Took a 58 55 lead there late in the second half uh, with just under five minutes to go. And Texas responded. Texas responded really well. This is a team in Penn State that they, for the last six weeks, month or so, every time they have gotten down, they have charged back. They had that comeback against Maryland that we talked about. They had that near comeback against Purdue in the Big Ten championship game. This is a Penn State team that had was playing really confident basketball, was playing really good basketball, and, and never gave up no matter the score in a game. And it seemed like this was going to be a game once again where Penn State just kept charging back and they came back and somehow pulled out a victory. And Texas said, I don't think so. We're not going to let that happen. We're Texas and we have dreams of going to the Final Four. And they they tightened the reins and they got that job done late in the second half. Uh, I, I thought the most impressive thing for Texas in this game was their defensive effort. They held Jalen Pickett down. They held Jalen Pickett to 11 points, one assist, seven turnovers. And this is a guy, he's an All-American. Um, he's one of the most unique guards, certainly in the Big Ten, if not all of college basketball. A really versatile game, a really unique game, and they were able to lock him down. And I thought that was something that was really impressive about them. Another thing that I was super impressed by about Texas is I love teams that can win without making threes. So I think in modern college basketball, there are teams that are so three-point reliant that if they are not hitting threes, the game will be over. Well, Texas went one of 13 from three in this game against Penn State and still was able to pull out the victory. That speaks volumes for me. And when you can go to a guy like Dylan DeSue, who had uh, 28 points in that game, 28 points, 10 rebounds, that's huge. And it just shows Texas has a variety of ways that they can win. They can rely on their guards. They can go inside. They can rely on their defense. They can uh, outscore you at times. And to me, that was just a game that, you know, a little bit underrated. Like, I don't think your average college basketball fan sees that score, sees that game and says, oh, wow, that's a really impressive win for Texas. But having watched a lot of Penn State, having watched the Big Ten closely and seeing how that team has been playing over the last month of the season, the way the confidence they've been playing with, uh, the uniqueness of Jalen Pickett, the way that Penn State just was relentless and never gave up and came back in every single game that they got down in, uh, that was a win that I really think speaks volumes about Texas. 
And you know, when they did relinquish that lead, when they gave up that lead and Penn State went up, Seth Lundy hit a shot to put them up, uh, or Cam Winter hit some free throws to put them up 56-55. Seth Lundy made a shot to put them up 58-55 with just under five minutes to go. Texas only allowed them to score eight points the rest of the game, finished the game on a 16-8 to run, and just a really impressive performance by the Texas Longhorns with the way that they responded there and the way that they were able to shut down Jalen Pickett, the way they were able to score without shooting the three well. So to me, I saw a lot from Texas in that win over Penn State, which makes me put them right up there with Alabama as the top two. I would probably say Alabama was in a class on its own over the weekend as far as how they played, how dominant they were. Clearly, Texas was not dominant in that Penn State game, but it showed me a lot. So Alabama number one, Texas number two for me. The next two teams I want to talk about together, and that's Houston at number three, the number one seed in the Midwest, and UCLA at number four, the number two seed in the West. And I want to talk about these teams together because these are teams that have been there all season long, have been really good all season long, at the top of the computer rankings all year long, at the top of the polls all year long, just consistent winners throughout the season as seen by their seeding in this NCAA tournament, but teams that are looked good but are clearly just bit by the injury bug right now. And UCLA sustained sustained yet another injury to David Singleton uh, in their win in the Bruins' win over Northwestern, uh, already without Jalen Clark, and then Adem Bona, their big man, who was out for the first-round game, did play against Northwestern. But clearly so, uh, just a ton of injury issues going on for UCLA right now. Nevertheless, dominant in their first-round game um, and then gets by Northwestern in the second round. And then the other team here, Houston, the team I actually have at number three, it, well, fighting injury issues of their own with Marcus Sasser um, clearly not being 100% in the Cougars' opening round win, but then coming back and playing uh, in a tough game against Auburn in Birmingham, I thought one of the most unfair draws any team got in this tournament was a number one seed having to play number, uh, uh, what was Auburn? Number eight seed, number nine seed. I'm not sure offhand. They were either an eight or nine. They were a number nine. Nine seeded Auburn in Birmingham. I mean, a, a ridiculous home court advantage for Auburn. Pretty ridiculous that they that they got to play that game against Iowa in the first round there as well. It's not a great draw, terrible draw for Iowa, but even more so for Houston, uh, a number one seed in the entire tournament, number one seed in its region. Uh, but they, that was a close game, and Marcus Sasser played in that game, played well, scored 22 points in that game. Um, Jamal Shedd, another guy who is banged up, uh, had 10 points in that game. So Houston fighting through some injuries here, but an extraordinarily impressive second half from Houston where they came out and dominated Auburn. And it looked like there was a time in that game where it felt like, okay, this is just going to be the weekend where 
all these number ones go down. Purdue had already gone down. Kansas had lost earlier in the day. And Auburn was up 10 on Houston at halftime. Well, Houston goes out and scores and outscores Auburn 50-23 to in the second half. And I didn't even mention um, one of Houston's other guards, Tremont Mark, goes out and scores 26 points in that game. So Houston finding a way to win and finding a way to be impressive, even though they are banged up. And, you know, I don't know the full extent of Houston's injury issues at this point. I, you know, Sasser, like I said, he scored 22 points in that game. Um, He seems okay, but, you know, it's just a, uh, it's a thing where, you just kind of don't know from game to game because it's a it's a nagging injury. And these are two teams to me that if they were 100%, then I would feel really confident putting them in that same group with Alabama and saying, like, these are the three best teams right now. They've shown it all season, uh, and they deserve to be grouped together along with Texas there. I would have those, like, as the clear top four and put them all in the same group together. But given these injuries, I just don't, I can't feel entirely confident that if they went up against Alabama head to head, that I could say, you know, they, they just don't have their full complement of pieces. But nevertheless, Houston is never going to give you, it's never going to be an easy game when you play Houston. It's never going to be an easy game when you play UCLA for that matter either. Two defensive minded teams that are always going to play tough and physical no matter what. And I think that's one of the trends that we've seen throughout this NCAA tournament so far is that the physical defensive minded teams, those teams are thriving right now. Houston and UCLA, uh, Houston number four in Ken Palm, defensive efficiency, UCLA number two, Alabama number three, Tennessee still in the tournament. We'll get to them in just a moment. They're number one, a team that I've doubted throughout much of the year. San Diego State still in the tournament. They're number five. These physical defensive-minded teams are still there in the tournament, while teams like Baylor, number 105 in adjusted defensive efficiency in Kempom, is no longer around. Uh, You know, all these that that's the biggest example of the poor defensive team that that comes to my mind but another one that I've been harping on all year Iowa goes out in the first round and they were you know an 8 seed but they lost a game a coin flip game to Auburn in the 8-9 game and I think in large part because they are just a poor defense uh team so these teams that are physical defensive minded these are the teams that are still around. If you have an elite defense, you are still around in this tournament. I think the only team in the, every team in the top five, in Ken Palm's top five, is still in the bracket right now. And I think that speaks volumes about the importance of defense and being tough, physical, and defensive-minded. The next set of teams at number five and six I grouped together at number Five, Tennessee Volunteers, four seed out of the East. And at number six, another SEC squad, the Arkansas Razorbacks. So everything that I just said about Houston and UCLA and their defensive mindedness and still being able to fight through and get through to the Sweet 16 despite being banged up, that should also apply to Tennessee. And maybe I should have grouped these Tennessee with them. I don't think I should have actually, because I still doubt Tennessee's 
offensive ability. It's it's reared its ugly head at at many times throughout this season. I think both Houston and UCLA are still much better offensive teams than Tennessee. But man, oh man, you cannot knock the physicality of that defense and what they did to that Duke team. That was one of the that when you talk about men versus boys and out physicaling a team, that was the prime example of it. That Tennessee Duke game. I mean, Tennessee looked like a team full of seniors, and Duke looked like a team full of freshmen, and that's exactly what they were. I came away from that game. You know, I thought Duke was a team capable of a Final Four run. Uh, I bet Duke in that game against Tennessee. Tennessee has not been a team that I have trusted at all this year. I, I picked them to be upset by Louisiana in in my bracket, and you know they, it was a close game. It was not out of the realm of possibility at all that they could have uh, they could have been upset in that game. Louisiana rearing back in the uh, in the late in the second half there, but Tennessee gets through. And they face a Duke team that I thought was looking really good, especially coming off that win over Oral Roberts, ACC championship uh, run that they went on a week ago, and they just out-physical Duke, beating them 65-52. to 52. Holding Duke, I mean, holding Duke to 6 of 22 from 3, forcing 15 turnovers, and uh, Tennessee grabbed 12 offensive rebounds, to Duke six, and that was a game where you kind of forget. I'd been harping so much all year on Tennessee's offensive deficiencies, and you forget just how important and just how good that defense is, and it's because of their physicality, and uh, Duke looked beat up in that game. So Tennessee, really impressive. Again, this is why, you know, I have them five in these rankings because of how impressive they've been. I still have major doubts about them going forward and being able to win a national championship with how inconsistent that their their offense has been. However, they do have FAU in the Sweet 16 as a result of Fairleigh Dickinson's upset over Purdue in the opening round. And then they have they'll have the winner of Kansas State, Michigan State. I think they they're going to get through this FAU game. Um, I'm sure it will be somewhat close because all Tennessee games are somewhat close. But uh, they're going to be in an elite eight almost certainly, in my opinion. I I, I don't have much doubt that they're going to win that game. And uh, then they'll have a chance to play for a shot at a Final Four and. You know, I, again, I don't think like they have beaten Alabama once this year. They could muck it up with Alabama. Certainly, I'm not predicting it right now, but it's it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but this ranking for them at number five is because of how impressive they were in that Duke game. It's something that I just kind of forgot that Tennessee. Could, their defense was that good that they could make a team as good a, as Duke look like they did. Um, so this was more of a you were so impressive ranking over the weekend, not much of a and less of a I think you have a great shot to win a national title ranking. This next team that I grouped with Tennessee, the other SEC team, Arkansas, the third SEC team 
in the Sweet 16. Uh, and the SEC, three teams in the Sweet 16. The Big East, also three teams. And then two from the Big 12. And then eight teams from uh, other conferences. So the Pac-12, ACC, American, Big 10, WCC, Mountain West, Ivy, and Conference USA, each represented by a team. And it is kind of unbelievable that the SEC has, you know, we've been seeing this for years in football where they've kind of been the, or not kind of, they've been the dominant conference. Um, nobody has been as good as the SEC. And top to bottom in basketball, I, I would not say that, the SEC was the best conference this year. I don't think it's really even close. But based on the tournament results and some of that top-end talent, it seems like, you know, the SEC is on this path, on this trajectory to being in the conversation as the best basketball conference in America. And Arkansas is a huge part of that because Arkansas shows up each and every year of the tournament. And I, they have a while to go to catch the Big 12. I still think the Big 12 is the best league uh, year in and year out right now, especially when you look at it from top to bottom. But the SEC, it, it's making a strong case. It's making a really strong case. When Kentucky is not even the team, you know, not even really at this point, the team that you, I mean, they're always the team that you think about when you think about the SEC, but I mean, there's a lot of competition at the top for Kentucky right now. Um, I think it's a really, it's a really compelling case for the SEC. And, you know, it's something that I, I think was the natural progression of things with how much football money was rolling in. That money has to go somewhere. I mean, there's only so many football related things you can do with it. And basketball is one of the natural places for it to go. And, I think we're starting to see some of the results of that. But I want to actually get into Arkansas, though, here for sure, because Arkansas had maybe the most impressive win of the weekend, taking down a number one seed in Kansas. And Kansas is a team that all year long, we've talked about how many good teams they're able to beat. You know, they won the regular season. They won the Big 12 regular season championship, which is one of the most impressive things that you could do in the sport this year, winning the best league in the country outright. And the thing that stood out to me about Arkansas is just its length. They are a team that is so long, so big, so athletic. And I mean, you just look at their guards. You look at the three guards. You look at Devontae Davis, Nick Smith, and Ricky Council. They go 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". And that's NBA size right there. And, you know, this, again is a team where it's it's defensive-minded. The defense is what is going to carry them. And um, they are a team that they can win a game without making a ton of threes. They went 3 of 15 against Kansas, and they took down a number one seed, going 3 of 15 from three. You know they're not a good three-point shooting team, and I don't say that as a as a good thing. But I like the fact that they can win a game without making a lot of threes. Now, at some point in this tournament, is it probably going to come back to bite them that they they're going to have to go three for two? Yes, but I, I it's just another example of a team here that is using its size, its athleticism for defensive purposes, and it's causing problems for teams from a defensive perspective, and that's the thing that stands out to me when I look at Arkansas is just how long and physical they are. And <laughs> against a team like – so they played Illinois in the first round, 
And Illinois is a team that I've watched so much this year. And they're a flummoxing team. They're a confusing team because they have a ton of talent. They might have as much talent as anybody in the Big Ten. And they just could never quite put it together in part because they, I always thought, I think they always took too many jump shots. They always settled for jumpers. And Arkansas held them to 0.81 points per possession, 63 points, 6 of 22 from three. And I I thought Arkansas's size and length bothered Illinois a ton in that game. I I, I thought it was noticeable against Kansas. and, And I think it's something that really sets them apart. And it's a reason, you know, that they are they have the opportunity to reach their third straight Elite Eight. So those are the two non-Alabama SEC teams there. Uh, this next group of teams, I really struggle to separate. And it's six teams. It's the teams ranked 7th through 12th in this ranking. But I had Kansas State at number 7. And I thought that Kansas State-Kentucky game, I thought that was the best game and my favorite game of the entire tournament so far. I love the playmaking ability by Kansas State. I love the way Kansas State plays basketball. And the way that Marquise Noel created in that game, uh, the way he scored in that game, was, I thought, just a thing of beauty. And I, I could not have enjoyed it more. You know, I think in this day and age of just really three-point-focused college basketball or basketball in, in general, sometimes we forget about like how beautiful it can be to watch a team, to watch a, a guy, to watch a team uh, make plays. And Marquise Noel, yeah, he scored a ton in that game. He scored 27 points in that game, but he also had nine assists, and he was making plays. He was passing guys open. He was he was just getting guys open uh, with subtle things that he was doing, and the results were awesome. And Kansas State comes away with a big win there, 75-69. to 69. I've loved this Kansas State team for a while this year. I mean, I just love those guards, Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. I think it's one of the best stories in college basketball. You have a 5'8 guard in Marquise Noel. You have Keontae Johnson, who, uh, of course, a couple years ago, collapsed on the court while he was a Florida Gator, did not play for two years, transferred to Kansas State, and has been one of the best players in the country this year. And then you have first-year head coach Jerome Tang, longtime Baylor assistant under Scott Drew, who goes to Kansas State, and he's just brought this infectious energy. And it seems like everybody in Manhattan... Everybody around that Kansas State basketball program loves him. And the results speak for themselves because they're now in a Sweet 16. And Kansas State is not exactly a program that is, you know, known for basketball success in a state where their biggest rival is Kansas and has more basketball history than Kansas State could possibly dream of. So uh, an absolutely awesome story, a fun team to watch. And I thought one of the most impressive wins of the weekend was that Kentucky win for Kansas State, which is why I put them at number seven. Uh, A team that I think also goes right there with them is Creighton. Uh, Creighton, a sixth seed in the South, seeking their first Elite Eight appearance since 1941 and their first Final Four berth ever. I mean, Creighton, a school with great basketball tradition, but has never been to a Final Four And, you know, I'm going to go back to it yet again. 
The story from you with Creighton this weekend was defense, 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 because they played two teams in NC State and Baylor that are known for offense. NC State has two guys that can, in their backcourt, that can fill it up as well as anyone, not nearly as efficient offensively as Baylor is, but, I mean, those two guards for NC State, uh, Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner, you know, you put them up against any backcourt in the country in terms of who can just fill it up. Uh, and then you talk about Baylor. Baylor is a team that was one of, if not if not the most efficient offense in the country for, for much of the year. I think right now in Ken Palm, Baylor is the second most efficient offense in the country over the course of the season. And... What did Creighton go out and do? Creighton held NC State to 63 points and Baylor to 76 points. And this is now a Creighton team that, you know, they've had times throughout this year where they were struggling. They've had times throughout this year where they looked really good and they were hot and trendy, a hot and trendy pick. They had their struggles in February. They lost to Providence. They lost back-to-back games to Marquette and Villanova. Uh, They got blown out by Xavier in the Big East tournament, you know, just at this point, what seems like a lifetime ago, but it was 10 days ago that they got absolutely blown out by Xavier in the Big East tournament. But now they are in the Sweet 16 off two really strong defensive performances, and they are going to face Princeton in a Sweet 16 game. And the other thing that I really love about this Creighton team is, you know, they have back-to-back games where they have two different guys in the NCAA tournament go for 30. They have Ryan Nemhard go for 30 against Baylor. And the game before that against NC State, Ryan Kalkbrenner goes for 31. Uh, so they got some versatility there. Um, and they're, they're an impressive team right now with a great chance to reach an Elite Eight. Okay, I'm going to kind of run through these next four teams very quickly here. And I have it in this order, Miami, UConn, Michigan State, and Gonzaga. Uh, Miami, I thought, did a nice job of being able to survive Drake and then take down an Indiana team where Miami just has better guards than Indiana, and it showed. But Miami, but Indiana was a good, solid team that uh, had a strong performance throughout Big Ten play, beat Purdue twice, and um, Miami handled them pretty well. So Miami gets through. I, I still am a bit skeptical about Miami's defense, and we've talked so much defense on this show here today, but it's Miami's guards and its offense has has been super impressive. I think Miami might be per Ken Palm, the worst remaining defense left in the tournament. Let's see. Is there anybody worse than Miami at one Oh eight, uh, still left in this tournament? It doesn't look like it doesn't look like it. No, I don't see anybody worse than Miami's 108. So, you know, that's obviously a a cause for concern there. How much we've talked about defense today on this show. Um and Houston is one of the best defensive teams in the country. So, it's going to be a really a, a battle of contrasting styles there. My gut is that Houston grinds Miami down rather than Miami making Houston play a game in the 80s. So that's kind of what I say out of this one. I kind of think the road ends for Miami there. But if there's not, uh, you know, if if Houston is even more banged up than we realize, and they're quite banged up, maybe 
Miami can outscore them, but I just don't see any way Miami can win that game in a defensive battle. I have UConn at number 10, and UConn has taken a not the most impressive path to the Sweet 16, in my opinion. They played an Iona, a Rick Patino led Iona team in the first round, and Rick Patino now headed to St. John's, uh, and they handled them pretty well. And then they beat St. Mary's by 15 in the second round. That win was impressive to me. But UConn is a team that the computer numbers have looked great for them all year long. But they're also a team that has just lost a lot of games. I mean, this is a team that they they have lost a lot. And I don't know that like neither neither this game against Iona or this game against St. Mary's I don't really think told me anything that I didn't already know about UConn. And they got a really interesting matchup now against Arkansas, who has similar, if not better, talent than them. So I'm going to be interested to see against Arkansas, is this a game where they can actually come through and win, or are the computer number is going to continue to look great and they'll just go ahead and, and drop that game to Arkansas like they've done to a, a lot of good teams this year. And that's not to say they haven't beaten anybody. They have. They've beaten Creighton. They've beaten Marquette. But they've also, they also lost to Marquette in the Big East tournament. They've also lost games to Seton Hall and St. John's in Providence. Um, this is a team that I, I think its computer numbers just seem to outperform its actual on-court performance. And, I, and I'm going to be very interested to see how this team looks when they play a team in Arkansas with similar, if not better, talent level. Uh, so number 10 is UConn for me. Number 11 is Michigan State, the seventh seed out of the East. Impressive run for Michigan State. Taking out USC and then taking out Marquette, the two seed. And it's classic, classic Tom Izzo. The biggest thing for me about this Michigan State team is that their guards ha- have really started to play well. And uh, Tyson Walker has probably been the more consistent guard this year between uh, Walker and A.J. Hogard as I've, as I've watched this team. But in the game against Marquette, they, you know, they both came to play, and Joey Hauser also gave them, uh, made some big shots, gave them some big points as... They're kind of stretch four there. So Hogart had 13, Walker had 23, and then Hauser chipped in 14. And you know when they're getting scoring from those guys and uh, Mati Sissoko, the big man, is playing well defensively like he was against Marquette, I mean, they become a very formidable team. This is the team in the Big Ten, I think, that that did have the most potential if their backcourt was playing well. So, and their backcourt is playing well now. Uh, Michigan State just doesn't do anything extraordinary, and that's why I have them here at 11. I mean, you got to give them a ton of credit for taking out a two-seed, and, you know, uh, but I just don't, Michigan State, to me, there's nothing that Michigan State can really hang their hat on and say, this is what we are extraordinary at. Um, it's kind of why I have them here. And I group them very similarly with Gonzaga. And Gonzaga's kind of the opposite. Gonzaga does do something extraordinarily. They score. They're, they're an extraordinary scoring team. And I have them at 12 
um, grouped right along with Miami, UConn, Michigan State, and Gonzaga. And I probably should have grouped Miami and Gonzaga together because they are both very good scoring teams. Gonzaga is an extraordinary scoring team, but it's Gonzaga's defense that is the problem. And I and I tend to see much like Miami, and I absolutely should have grouped Miami and Gonzaga together now that I think about it more because they face uh, Miami plays Houston, Gonzaga plays UCLA, and UCLA Gonzaga is becoming. Uh, quite a rivalry over the years. It's been quite a rivalry, but I see it much more likely that UCLA grinds down Gonzaga than Gonzaga speeds up UCLA and gets them to play a game in the 80s. And I mean, all credit to Gonzaga. You know, it's a, it's now just a ho-hum year when Gonzaga gets to the Sweet 16. No big deal. Not a big deal at all. I mean, there was years and years and years where they were struggling to get past the second round under Mark View, and now it's just Sweet 16, not a big deal. Don't even, we're not even going to talk about it because they're not, you know, competing for a national championship, or they're not a one seed. I mean, they still could be competing for a national championship. But the games they played against Grand Canyon and TCU, quite frankly, those are games where uh, Grand Canyon, they're just better than. And TCU, the style of play was perfect for them. I mean, TCU is a running gun team like Gonzaga, and Gonzaga just has a better offense than TCU. So it didn't tell me a whole lot, kind of like UConn. And that's kind of why I, I grouped these four teams together in Miami, UConn, Michigan State, uh, and Gonzaga, because I feel like Miami and Gonzaga, great offenses, not great defenses. I expect them to get ground down by Houston and UCLA. Um, I didn't learn a whole lot more about Gonzaga or Miami, and I didn't learn a whole lot more about UConn. Michigan State, I I learned a little bit more of. I learned that those guards have that potential that we thought they had, but I still just don't think Michigan State does anything extraordinary. So these four teams, I kind of grouped together uh, for that reason. And All right, I'm going to go through my bottom four quickly here. Uh, I'm going to group Xavier and San Diego State at number 13 and 14. And honestly, Xavier's a team that I just didn't watch a ton of this past weekend, and maybe that was a good thing for them uh, because, you know, they they got through Kennesaw State and Pitt. But that first game against Kennesaw State, a 14th seed, was a closer than it needed to be. And, you know, that happens in the tournament sometimes. And then they beat an 11 seed in the second round in Pitt. And uh, just not the most impressive path. I Xavier is, is good. Uh, certainly a very good team. But, you know, I, I still question, again, defense with them um, as well, much like Miami, much like, um, much like Gonzaga. They're in that run and gun group. And I think that Texas, I, I think that Texas is just a, a tough match for them. Tough matchup for them defensively, but Sully boom, t- a really fun player to watch at Xavier. And, it, and it's been a great year for Xavier. Um, and, you know, maybe I could be dead wrong on this. Maybe they got to that opening weekend that the draw was the draw and they're, they're going to turn it up against Texas and, and take Texas out. But it's just a, I feel like with a different draw, you know, maybe they don't get through to the Sweet 16 here. So I have them at number 13, along with uh, San Diego State at number 14. And you know, I kind of feel similar similarly about San Diego State. They beat a 12-seed Charleston and a 13-seed Furman. 
And now they got to play Alabama, the pretty clear, undisputed number one team left in this tournament. So we're going to find out a lot more about San Diego State when they play Alabama. I do think it's a somewhat intriguing matchup because probably the only way to beat um, Alabama is to really make it a grind it out, slow down, slog it out affair, which is what Maryland tried to do and did pretty successfully in the first half. They just couldn't maintain it for a whole game and Maryland couldn't score themselves. But if, you know, San Diego state can play a game in the fifties and sixties, which is what they want to do. Maybe they'll have a chance, but I, similar to some of these teams that we saw that I just mentioned, you know, in that group above, I didn't learn a whole lot about San Diego state based on, based on their draw there. And then I hate to shortchange these two teams. My 15 and 16 are Princeton and FAU. Uh, Princeton, obviously, incredible upset win over Arizona. Arizona was, I I mean, I'm just kicking myself for not betting that game because Princeton, you know, Arizona is a team that I have been against all year long. And, And Princeton, Princeton did exactly what you need to do to beat that Arizona team. And uh, it's what we've been talking about all year with Arizona, where they are just not a consistent team. But you got to give Princeton their flowers for taking down two really strong offensive teams in Arizona and Missouri and holding them to 55 and 59 points. I mean, that that is super impressive and uh, an unbelievable run by an Ivy League team, something that we we don't see every day. So, uh, you know, big shout out to Princeton for what they've done here in this tournament. My last team, FAU, the nine seed in the East. Uh, for me, this is just, look, great win over Memphis. Fantastic win over Memphis. Um, when I didn't think they were going to get, but Memphis really melted down there in, in the last minute. Um, and FAU took advantage of it. But then they got Fairleigh Dickinson in the, the second round. And I mean, it's a huge break in the bracket. They took advantage of it. So good for them, but they are still going to be my, my number 16 team there uh, because they easily could have gone out in the first round. And then they drew a 16 seed in the second round. So that is my rankings one through 16. Let me know what you think. Tell me what I got wrong. Tell me what I got right. Uh, I'm sure I'll hear a little bit more of what I got wrong than what I get right, but that's great. I love it. Tell me what I got wrong. Tell me what you disagree with. Tell me if you like anything about what I said, and I'll be back after the Elite Eight to break down next weekend's action. Look back at those Elite Eight games. Hopefully, we'll get some instant classics there. Look ahead to the Final Four as well. Enjoy the games this week, everybody, and until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. 